Welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha, a podcast shared by David Roylance. This podcast is dedicated to guiding you to completely eliminate the discontent mind and the suffering it causes by attaining enlightenment. Learn and practice the teachings of Gotama Buddha that will guide you to fully attain a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. To support this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha or visit buddhadailywisdom.com where you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online learning resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Now, here's our teacher to share more. Hello and welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha. It's our time to devote to meditation guidance. Today we're going to be actually doing meditation together as well as chanting. Because over the last three weeks, I've taught breathing mindfulness meditation, I've taught loving kindness meditation, and I taught Buddhist chanting and how that helps to prepare the mind for meditation. So today we're going to be putting two of those things together. We're going to be putting together the chanting and the breathing mindfulness meditation. And then next week we'll put together the chanting, breathing mindfulness meditation, and loving kindness meditation all in one session. But today is all about chanting and breathing mindfulness meditation. So let's just talk briefly on what is breathing mindfulness meditation and why we actually do it so that you can then gain some more insight and wisdom of why this practice is so beneficial for the mind. Gautama Buddha discovered several problems with the human mind that he taught how to eliminate through his teachings. The primary problem that he discovered is craving or desire or attachment. Some people use grasping or holding. There's other words that we use in the English language to describe the challenge of the mind where it tends to hold on and not let go. And because of this, we cause our own discontent mind because the mind craves and wants and expects certain things. It just latches and holds on and it doesn't let go. Well, this craving, this desire, this attachment, the way that I describe it for you in English is it's a mental longing with a strong eagerness. Like the mind wants this. The mind wants something. It wants a new phone. It wants a new car. It wants a new boyfriend, a girlfriend, a job. It wants a certain income. It wants a certain status in society. The mind just craves and desires and wants things. And the mind does that because it's oftentimes seeking happiness. But happiness is temporary. It's not permanent. And what happens is we acquire oftentimes this certain thing that the mind's craving and the mind is content or happy or peaceful for a period of time, whether it's a couple days or a couple weeks. But eventually that wears off and the mind becomes discontent again. It becomes sad or angry or frustrated or irritated, annoyed or, or some other loneliness or boredom or some other discontent emotion and feeling. And then the mind kind of is on to the next craving and kind of looking for this external thing to create contentedness for the mind. 
But what the Buddhist teachings are, are sharing with you is you can actually attain peacefulness and contentedness in the mind through training the mind. And what breathing mindfulness meditation is doing is it's training the mind to let go. It's training the mind not to hold on so tightly because we understand that if the mind holds on tightly, that it's going to cause itself to be discontent. Therefore, we need to practice breathing mindfulness meditation, which focuses the mind on the breath and helps you to eliminate thoughts of the past, eliminate thoughts of the future, let go of the thoughts and ideas and perceptions that are in the mind, and it allows you to bring the mind to the breath, which is the present moment. By training the mind to be in the present moment, you can have more concentration, more focus, more memory, and the mind can then make very good decisions in order to lead your life and go forward in life. It takes many, many sessions of this practice in order to train the mind in this way. It's not just one session and you immediately experience, you know, super amount of benefits. Some people can experience a, a good amount of benefits in the first session. However, meditation is an accumulated benefit where you need to meditate over multiple days, over multiple sessions and see the mind gradually improve because the mind is letting go. It's not holding on. And this becomes very beneficial when you're in daily life because as you're in daily life and something happens and you are causing anger or frustration to the mind because the mind's displeased, if you've trained the mind to let go, then when that anger or frustration starts to arise, you can then cut off those thoughts apply what we call right effort and then the mind can come to the present moment and not experience the large amount of anger and frustration. Eventually, the more you meditate and you practice the Eightfold Path and all the other teachings, you get to the point where you don't even feel the rise of anger at all or you don't even feel frustration or sadness or boredom or loneliness, guilt shame, fears. This is an enlightened mind. This is what Nibbana or enlightenment is, is a mind that is free of discontentness. You've eliminated the discontent mind with sadness, anger, frustration, irritation, annoyance, guilt, shame, fears, boredom, loneliness, shyness. All these discontent feelings have been eliminated from the mind. But in order to do that, we need to eliminate what the Buddha described as greed, hatred, and delusion, or craving, anger, and ignorance. These are what we call the three poisons. The primary poison here is this craving or this greed, this mind that wants to cling and hold on and attach and, and has this mental longing with a strong eagerness. So by working with meditation and working with the other teachings, you can train the mind to eliminate this poison of craving or greed. And you can also work to eliminate hatred or anger. That's where we use loving kindness meditation. And you can awaken the mind to eliminate this delusion or ignorance or unknowing of true reality. Through eliminating these three poisons, as well as dissolving the ego and realizing non-self, one can attain this mental state of enlightenment where you no longer experience 
a discontent mind and all those feelings that I mentioned previously. So in order to do that, meditation is an important aspect of practice. It's not the entire practice. There's a lot more that one needs to learn in order to attain enlightenment, but the practice of eliminating craving or greed, which we're going to do through breathing mindfulness meditation today is a primary aspect of training. Now let's talk about what is meditation. Let's even talk about that. Meditation is a independent session, a independent dedicated session to train the mind. Okay. Meditation is an independent dedicated session to train the mind. This is what we're going to do today. And it takes many, many sessions to train the mind in a certain direction. Let's talk about what meditation isn't. Meditation isn't prayer where you are actually willing something for somebody else, or you're asking for something for yourself. You can't meditate and therefore change somebody else. You can only change your own mind through meditation. So we're not praying during meditation and asking for a third entity to come in and create change for us. We're actually creating the change ourselves in meditation. So meditation isn't prayer. Meditation also isn't where you are, again, willing something for somebody else. Meditation isn't a situation where you are actively trying to send out vibes in a certain direction towards other people, hoping that they will receive these vibes and somehow change their own mind. That's not what meditation is for. Meditation is for you. Okay. Meditation is all about you improving your practice and improving the condition of your mind. Meditation also isn't going for a jog. Meditation isn't walking the dog. Meditation isn't gardening. Gardening is gardening. Jogging is jogging. Walking the dog is walking the dog or going for a nice walk and looking around and relaxing the mind and, and experiencing the things that you see and things that you smell and things that you observe. That's going for a walk and enjoying a nice walk. What meditation is, it's not any of those things. Meditation is an independent, dedicated training session where you are either sitting, standing, lying, or walking. These are the four meditation positions that the Buddha gave us. And you're dedicating time and effort to train the mind to either eliminate certain qualities from the mind or cultivate certain qualities in the mind. Today, we're going to be working on eliminating craving, eliminating the attachment, eliminating desire, greed, the, the concept of the mind wanting to hold on. Next Wednesday, we're going to be incorporating loving kindness meditation, where we're going to be cultivating this loving kindness or this active goodwill towards all beings without judgment. But again, we're doing that for ourselves, not for someone else. We're not trying to convince other people through our meditation to be more loving and kind, having active goodwill, but we are in fact training our mind to cultivate this for ourselves. 
So in meditation, we're either eliminating certain qualities or we're cultivating certain qualities. And these are the two meditations, the primary meditations that Gautama Buddha taught in order to train the mind to enlightenment. Every human being who is interested in pursuing this path and attaining this peaceful, calm, serene, content mind with joy, enlightenment, anyone who's interested in attaining that is going to need to learn these two styles of meditation because we need to eliminate the three poisons. We need to eliminate craving and greed, which is done with breathing mindfulness meditation, as well as practicing generosity training the mind to let go and, and give and share. So training the mind through generosity and breathing mindfulness meditation. We need to train the mind to eliminate hatred or anger and all other variations of that, like ill will and frustration and irritation and annoyance and dislike and all of those discontent feelings that come out of this poison of hatred or anger. And we do that through cultivating loving kindness in the mind with loving kindness meditation, and then practice loving kindness in daily life. Because we can't just meditate our way to, to enlightenment. We can't meditate these things away. We actually have to practice something. Not only do we practice meditation to eliminate craving and anger or eliminating greed and hatred, not only do we practice meditation to eliminate both of these poisons, but we also practice in daily life generosity and loving kindness in daily life with other human beings. So these two poisons are eliminated through practicing generosity, breathing mindfulness meditation to eliminate greed and craving. And we eliminate hatred or anger through loving kindness meditation and practicing loving kindness. We eliminate delusion, ignorance, or the unknowing of true reality by learning the teachings of Gautama Buddha and applying them in our life, observing the truth of these teachings, which then we acquire wisdom. And this newfound wisdom changes the way that we look at the world. It changes the way that we respond in the world. Rather than reacting, we respond to the world and we become more awake because this wisdom that we acquire through learning and practicing the teachings, the mind becomes gradually more awake through eliminating these poisons and essentially eliminating also this poison of delusion or ignorance or unknowing of true reality. This word ignorance isn't really the proper word because that's kind of a derogatory word in our language today. The Buddha as a fully enlightened being wouldn't refer to someone as ignorant or stupid or dumb. He would have said something much more akin to unknowing of true reality. The mind is unknowing that it has this craving and greed that it causes its own discontentness, that it's on this constant quest of seeking happiness in these external things like jobs and boyfriends, girlfriends and you know possessions and things like this. The mind is unknowing that it has this hatred, this anger, this ill will, this frustration, this irritation. It's unknowing that it's actually causing it itself. This is the unknowing of true reality. It's unknowing of this natural law of gamma, of cause and effect or action and result. Essentially, the result of our decisions is gamma. The mind is unknowing of things like impermanence, 
that everything is impermanent and the mind just keeps craving and wanting to hold on. So we eliminate this third poison through learning the teachings with the help of teachers and then observing those teachings in practice so that we can see the truth for ourselves. And this is how one eliminates greed, hatred, and delusion, or craving anger and ignorance, or the unknowing of true reality. And through that practice, you discover things like the 10 fetters, which helps you work on dissolving the ego and attaining non-self. And in doing so, having eliminated these three poisons, eliminated the ego and attaining or realizing non-self, one's mind will attain enlightenment, which is a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy, where you have eliminated the anger, frustration, sadness, guilt, shame, fears, boredom, loneliness, shyness, and all these discontent feelings. So we're going to actually practice breathing mindfulness meditation today with some chanting at the beginning, but I would like to first just see if there's any questions on anything we've discussed so far so that I can provide you guidance on your meditation practice. We have a question on Facebook from Amina. Amina asks, if we at times meditate and find ourselves distracted, is it better to stop the meditation or to continue trying to calm the mind? I would suggest that you continue for a period of time, be it five minutes, 10 minutes, 15, 20 minutes. Keep trying to pull the mind back to the breath and focus it on the breath. But at a certain point, if you notice that the mind just keeps on its trail of having continuous, continuous thoughts and you've done a lot of effort and you've applied right effort to try to bring it to the breath and it just isn't working, I've always felt it's better to end the meditation at that time and then come back in a few hours or come back another time or another day and then reapply effort to bringing the mind to the breath. And how much time you decide to spend, whether it's five minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, and how much time you try to pull the mind back is totally up to you. But I suggest that you spend some amount of time to do that. And then secondly, what you may wanna do, Amina, is actually try walking meditation first because if the mind's really busy really energetic and really chattery especially right now because a lot of people are staying at home because of the coronavirus and they're not going outside so they haven't seen many things they're, they're not very active the mind is kind of discontent because it's just kind of in one place at your home so the mind might be very chattery and be very busy so what you can do prior to doing seated meditation or lying or standing is do some walking meditation for a period of time, whether it's five, 10, 15, 20 minutes, however long, and then go to a seated meditation. What you'll find is the mind will be much more willing to sit down with you or lay or stand when you've already done some walking meditation to kind of get the energy out. I think of it like pouring out the water or pouring out these thoughts and just kind of like emptying it out by making these circles through walking meditation. So definitely keep trying, don't give up. But at a certain point, you know, you, you're going to need to cut it off. But if you're noticing your mind's very busy, instead of maybe just sitting there for five or 10 minutes, rather than giving up at that time, maybe stand up, do some walking meditation for a while, and then come back to seated 
and see how that works for you. I think you might find that your mind will be more willing to sit with you and actually meditate after you've done some walking meditation. I have a question, David, and that is that uh, once the mind, or if and when the mind becomes very concentrated on the object of focus, is there any benefit in then relaxing the effort and allowing the mind to go wider? Because this is something that's often uh, suggested in certain apps that I've used um, and certain uh, other podcasts I've, I've listened to. What are your thoughts on that? You don't want the mind to wander during meditation and breathing mindfulness meditation. You, you're interested in having it to stay in one spot. You're interested in having it come to the breath. And through that practice, what you're doing is you're observing how you have the ability to control the mind. Because in daily life, when you're in conversation or in you're in a business meeting or whatever you're involved in, the mind's going to want to wonder and do lots of things and take you away from the activity at hand. And this is where people lose focus and concentration and they can't apply themselves in a beneficial way in daily life. So the mind's going to want to wander and go around. But what you're doing in meditation is you're training the mind so that you can see that more and more you have 100% ability to control the mind and bring it to the breath or bring it to that single mindedness or that singleness of mind. So by bringing the mind to the breath, to the singleness of mind, it slowly convinces you that you have the ability to control the mind, that all your thoughts, ideas, and perceptions are impermanent. You don't need to hang on to the past. You don't need to anticipate the future. Just reside in the present moment with the breath. That trains the mind to come into the present moment. And then through that, the benefit is, is when you're outside of meditation, now you have the ability to control the mind you have the ability to stay focused, to stay concentrated. So I disagree with allowing the mind to go wider and kind of look at wider and wider things because that's just allowing the mind to wander and it's not controlling the mind. I think of the mind, you know, people have talked about like the, um, what do they call it? The, the, the wild monkey or what do they call it? The monkey mind, right? I think of the mind as like, an, like a wild elephant that the wild elephant is in the, the forest, it's knocking over trees, it's digging up holes, it's, it wants to be a wild elephant and go do everything that it wants to do. But what you're saying during meditation, you're saying, no, 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 I, I need to train you. You need to come over here into the field, to this open area, and you need to get some training. And of course, the elephant's gonna tug and it's gonna pull and it's gonna say, no, no, I don't wanna do that. It's gonna wanna stay in the forest and be wild. So even when you bring the mind over into the open field, the, the elephant doesn't want to be trained. And this is why Amina is experiencing the, the chatter, the, the busyness in the mind, because the elephant's like, no, 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 I don't want this. I want to go be wild. But what you're saying is, no, you're going to receive training. And the first time you train the wild elephant, you might get like, you know, 10 seconds of beneficial help to actually get the, the elephant trained. But over time, you slowly, gradually train this elephant to the point where it will listen to you more, you can control it more. It willingly on its own actually starts walking into the field because it starts enjoying the training. 
but it takes more and more time to train the mind in this way. Initially, when someone's first starting a meditation practice, the mind wants to tug and pull because it wants to stay that wild elephant. It doesn't want to be trained. So um, if you allow the mind in meditation to wander, you're allowing it to be the wild elephant. You're allowing it to, to determine its own path and just go everywhere and not and be out of control. Even if you feel like you're somewhat in control, you're just allowing it to kind of expand and go different places. So you need to focus it on the breath. And that's that training of the wild elephant. And you're slowly chipping away at it to the point where eventually the elephant willingly on its own comes over every day, sits down once or twice or three times a day, decides that yes, it would like to be trained, that's beneficial, that's enjoyable, I'm seeing how it's benefiting my life, it's making me a better elephant, right? But it takes time for the mind to to do that, especially early on because there's so much chatter and we're trying to build this habit of meditation that the elephant doesn't want to come over and, and meditate. It wants to be that wild elephant. So I disagree with allowing the mind to wander during meditation because it's opposite of what the real goal is which is training the mind so that you can control the mind what if the just a follow-up if the 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 instruction sort of let the mind be free if it was directed at something else other than the breath maybe something uh like uh a dharma like impermanence or um the suffering may or the dis- discontentedness of mind itself and just to look to sort of direct that concentration at some other object yeah i'll share a few things with that is one is i don't suggest focusing it on a different object you know because that other object is going to go away and it's just replacing the thoughts so if the mind's having let's just take something unwholesome if the mind's having thoughts about sexual cravings and having lots of sexual contact or or alcohol or drugs and all these things are in the mind and we just move it to a glass of water and we try to focus it on the glass of water it's just replacing those thoughts with something else the mind's still holding on we're not training to eliminate that craving or that greed we're just letting go of these things temporarily the cravings for sex and, and alcohol and drugs and we're latching it onto something else so it's just like a substitute so the mind still is holding on and we're not extinguishing that poison of craving or greed so with that said i I don't agree with sometimes when people are meditating they will label the thoughts or they will try to analyze the thoughts or they will judge their thoughts or they'll have uh, certain uh, things that they do in the mind to try to just kind of subvert the thoughts and kind of think of something else this is essentially just redirecting the mind to latch onto something else. But the central problem that the Buddha discovered that the mind wants to latch on, that's not getting solved. It's just replacing this thing with something else that it wants to latch onto. So that's the first thing I'll say about that question. The second thing is you mentioned about meditating on impermanence. This is actually something that the Buddha recommended. And he said that it was actually the highest form of meditation that one could actually practice. So as part of breathing mindfulness meditation, one of the guidance that I usually give 
is helping people to let go of their thoughts and recognize that their thoughts are impermanent or the sounds or the sensations of the physical body are impermanent. So I kind of weave it into the guidance that I give as part of breathing mindfulness meditation because meditating on impermanence is so highly valuable because the mind wants to crave, it wants to hold on, it's not awakened to this universal truth of impermanence. It thinks, the mind thinks that everything's permanent. Even intellectually, we can have a conversation and you can agree with me, Max, and you have agreed with me that everything's impermanent, but in certain situations, your mind is still latching on and it's still holding on to permanence. So on an intellectual level, your mind understands impermanence, but in practice, it's not practicing impermanence 100% yet. So by meditating on impermanence and recognizing that all of our thoughts, ideas, perceptions, all the sounds, all the physical sensations in the body, if there's air blowing in the place where you're meditating, recognizing that all these sounds and all these thoughts, all these sensations are impermanent, it's further training the mind and deepening the realization in the mind that everything is impermanent. So then in practice, if you've trained the mind this well, really, really good over multiple sessions, then in practice, when things like the coronavirus hits and your country gets quarantined and you can't go outside anymore, the mind just automatically recognizes, oh, this is impermanent. It'll be over within a couple of weeks and there's no reason for me to be discontent because I would be just attached to going outside and that's not permanent. I can't go outside permanently because I recognize impermanence in my mind on a really deep, deep, deep level because I've meditated on impermanence I understand deeply that every situation that I encounter is impermanent. So there's no sense for my mind to become discontent and cause my own discontentness because whatever is happening now, it's going to change. It's just a matter of time before it does. So yes, meditating on impermanence is highly beneficial. And just as a thought comes in, you cut it off, bring the mind to the breath, and just notice how that thought's impermanent. Or as you're meditating, if a certain sensation, like a tickling feeling or some feeling or sensation comes up in the body, just noticing how it's arising. And then as you sit with the breath and just focus on the breath, it ceases and it fails to uh, exist and it fails to continue. Noticing the impermanent nature of that thought, of that feeling and sensation in the body, if while you're meditating, like I know Bill has certain sounds that comes from other neighbors in his condo, just recognizing, okay, that sounds impermanent. I don't need to become discontent because of that sound because it's going to be over at some point and it's not always going to be quiet. But the mind in this particular example is latching on to the quietness and it wants that permanently so when the sound comes in, it becomes discontent. Whereas if in meditation, you train the mind really well, that it's not always going to be quiet. There's going to be sounds. I live in a world where there's other things and other people. I'm going to hear sounds sometimes when I meditate, but they're impermanent and then just let it go. So by meditating in this way and just letting it go and letting it go and letting it go, 
you're really deepening your realization and understanding of impermanence. And that's, that's what I think of when I talk in the book about soaking the teachings into the mind or realizing the teachings. So people sit down in Dhamma talks or they read the book and they understand impermanence on an intellectual level, but it hasn't been soaked into the mind to the point where the mind just recognizes impermanence all the time and it just accepts it. Because this problem, this primary problem that the Buddha discovered, which is craving, and he discovered these other problems too, which is hatred and delusion and so forth, but the primary problem the Buddha is discovering is craving, the mind's holding on, essentially what he discovered is the mind does not like impermanence. The mind absolutely doesn't like it when things change. It wants to latch on and it wants to hold on permanently. Sure, there's craving there where there's this mental longing, this strong eagerness, desiring and craving all these things to fulfill and create happiness in the mind. But the sub bullet that he understood was the mind is craving permanence. It doesn't like change. So what you want to do is train the mind to be so accepting of change that it doesn't hold on to anything at all. And you only do this through meditating on impermanence and observing it in everyday life. And then also when the mind becomes discontent, notice, ah, the mind's craving quiet. And now I hear sound, it's discontent. Ah, the mind's craving going outside. Now there's a quarantine and that's why the mind's discontent. Ah, the mind's craving 100,000 pound salary and now it's dropped to 60 and the mind doesn't like that impermanence. Ah, that's why it's discontent. Ah, I'm with this girlfriend or boyfriend and now the relationship's over and that's a change. Ah, the mind's discontent because it doesn't like that change. Ah, I'm used to falling asleep at 10 p.m. every night and now I can't fall asleep. It's 11, it's 12, it's 1 a.m. in the morning. I haven't fallen asleep. The mind's craving and expecting permanence that I fall asleep at 10 o'clock every night and now I can't do that. The mind's discontent. So this problem that the Buddha discovered with craving, it deepens the understanding of the problem, which is the mind doesn't like impermanence. But everything in the world's impermanent. Everything, essentially. So that's why you have to train the mind to just accept impermanence. And then, like I mentioned last week, by training the mind to accept impermanence and eliminate all these three poisons, dissolve the ego and, and the self, then the mind finally gets what it, what it was craving all along, which is enlightenment, which is this permanent mental state of peace, calm, serenity, contentness with joy. But you have to train the mind to accept impermanence in order to get to that permanent mental state, which is what the mind was craving all along anyway. Thanks very much, David. Really helpful answer there. We have no more questions at this time. Thank you for that, Max. As we lead into meditation, let's share and review our chanting. We discussed chanting and we discussed how we use chanting to ease the mind into meditation. Using chanting to ease the mind into meditation helps us to focus on the breath and helps us to become aware of the mind. So by focusing the mind on the breath and on the mind, 
we bring the mind into the present moment, we develop awareness of mind, which is mindfulness, and we train the mind not to hold on to the past or have anxiety about the future and let go of these thoughts, these ideas, these perceptions, and we're training the mind to eliminate this poison of greed or craving. But as I mentioned, the elephant rarely wants to be trained, even later in practice, even you've been practicing for many years, the mind oftentimes doesn't want to come be trained. It wants to be complacent. Even when it gets close to enlightenment, it's like, ah, I feel so good. Like, wow, you know, you, you kind of start feeling accomplished. You start feeling like you've eliminated a good number of the fetters. And the last thing the mind wants to think about is moving into a meditation session. It wants to have one more chat on WhatsApp or one more post on Facebook or one more little bit of YouTube video or one more walk in the park or it, it always, the mind always tries to think about what else it can be doing besides meditation, even further along in practice. You might have periods of time where the mind is more dedicated to practice, which is great, but oftentimes it kind of wants to lead you in a different direction. So what chanting is, is it's a way for you to ease the mind into meditation, focusing on the breath and focusing on the mind, becoming aware of the mind, which is what you're going to need in meditation anyway. So chanting helps ease the mind into that and starts becoming aware of it. And you have an audible way of noticing that your practice is improving. And you can see from day to day that your chanting is continually improving. And chanting is a way to come out of meditation as well and ease the mind back out of meditation and back to kind of normal life. So what I'd like to do since we just covered chanting last week and it was the first time that we covered it in this online program is I would like to go through the chants and just chant them with you together as practice. And then when we actually do our meditation today, then we'll use them to ease the mind into meditation. We'll do our meditation and then we'll ease it back out. So if you've got access to the book, Developing a Life Practice in chapter 11. So if you've got a copy of this book, you can look to chapter 11 where you're gonna see these chants and you can actually follow along in text format. Because in order to learn these, you're going to need to visually see the chants and practice them. And what I would like you to do is get comfortable with seeing them visually and hearing them chanted and you chanting along. So for you guys at home that are in a place where you're actually going to chant and meditate, I would like you to practice this. Even though you can only hear me, I would like you to verbalize these chants so that I can help you get better and better and better at chanting these. And remember, the words themselves, even though they're in Pali and they're reciting some of the teachings, they don't have any ability to instantly create enlightenment. These aren't a prayer. Again, it's not a prayer that we're doing here. It's actually helping you to develop mindfulness. It's helping you to develop that awareness of mind, that mindfulness. And it's helping you to improve your memory, your concentration. And the more you devote time and dedication to learning this, eventually what you're going to get is a really nice tone, which helps to relax the mind and ease it into meditation and back out of meditation as part of your practice. So let's chant this together. 
so that you can hear the chant and you can practice it on your own right here live. So you want to just bring your hands together where your palms are facing each other, just kind of at the sternum in your chest. And now just chant together with me. Arahang Sama Samoto Mahakawa Potang Mahakawan Hang Apiwati Ami. You just raise your hands up to your forehead out of respect for Gautama Buddha. Sawakato Mahakawata Tammo Tamang Namasami Out of respect for his teachings. Sopatipano Bhakawato Sawakasanko Sanghang Namami Out of respect for the Sangha or the people who are part of the community of Buddhist practitioners. We're going to do this again and I'm going to instruct the breath so you can see where a good place is for you to breathe because we want to take nice deep breaths, becoming aware of the breath, and then use the mind to concentrate and focus on the words and the sounds. So take a nice deep breath in. Arahang Sama Samhoto Mahakawa. Breathe. Otang Mahakawan Hang Apiwati Ami. Bow and take a nice breath. Sawakato Mahakawata Tammo. Breathe. Damang Namasami. Bow and breathe. Sopatipano Bhakawato Sawakasanko. Breathe. Sanghang Namami. And then bow. Those breaths in the middle of each phrase can be kind of like a half breath. It doesn't have to be a real deep breath that you take at the beginning of each phrase. It just can be like a little half breath. So let's do this again without me telling you where to breathe. And you just breathe on your own. Nice deep breath here. And then I'm not going to instruct any breath after that. Arahang Samasam Hotom Hakawa Potang Hakawan Hang Apiwati Ami Sawakatom Hakawata Tamo Damang Namasami Sopatipano Bhakavato Savakasanko Sankhang Namami 
Okay, now that you've gotten some practice with that, let's practice the next one. This is the just one line that's repeated over and over and over again. And if you wanted to kind of focus on just one chant, this might be the chant that you decide to focus on and just practice this many, many times before you incorporate the other chants because you'll see some of the same syllables, same words that show up here in the other chants. So you might just focus on this chant uh, repeatedly prior to meditation and after meditation. And then when you get good at this, where you don't need the paper and you don't need the visual aid and you can do it from memory, i.e. you've developed your mindfulness, you developed your awareness of breath, you develop your concentration and memory with this one chant, then you might go to the one we just did, which is the Arahang Samma Samputasa. And then once you get really good at that and you eliminate the visual aid, now you've got two chants and then you might add the third one. So let's go through the second one. Breath. Arahato Samma Samputasa. Breathe. Napmodhasa Pakawato Arahato Samma Samputasa. Napmodhasa Pakawato Arahato Samma Samputasa. I can pretty much do that chant without taking a breath in the middle, but I usually take kind of like a small little breath in the middle just to kind of refresh the air, become aware of the breath. And where I'm doing that is after Just taking almost like a quarter breath there, just a little bit of a breath to kind of get me out through the rest of that phrase. Okay. So let's chant this one together. We'll do this one three times. All right, so here we go. So we'll chant this one together and I'll instruct the breath on these three times. We'll do this same phrase three times. So take a nice deep breath. Breath. Arahato Samma Samputasa. Breath. Napmodhasa Pakawato. Breath. Arahato Samma Samputasa. Breath. Napmodhasa Pakawato. Breath. Okay, so just a real short phrase compared to the previous one that we were doing. And there's a kind of a deeper breath at the beginning and then like a little quarter breath in the middle just to make sure you have enough air to get you through all the way to the end. Okay, so this is the Natmotasa. And then the next chant that we have is called the Iti Piso. The Iti Piso is a more involved chant. It has many more syllables. It's more challenging of a chant. So this is why for some people, they may choose to learn the Arahang and the Namotasa first. And then once you build some proficiency with that, maybe tackle this one. Or if you want to learn all three, 
at the same time, go for it. Learn all three. The way that this one works is there's a big breath at the beginning of the phrase, there's another one in the middle, and then you finish out the phrase. And then again, take a nice deep breath. So the way this one works is take a nice deep breath. Breath. Deep breath. We Kind of a half breath. Deep breath. Breath. Dhamma sati sata tava manu sanang. Breath. Puto pakavati. And then just kind of end it off with a nice little raise of the hands to the forehead. So let's do these and I'll instruct the breath again. Nice deep breath. Iti piso makawa breath arahang samasamhoto deep breath vichacharanang samuno half breath sakatoro kawitu deep breath Anu tero purisa. Half breath. Dama sati sata tawa manu sanang. Half breath. Puto pakawati. Okay. So now let's do this without the instruction of the breath and you just finding the natural place to create the breath. And of course, I'm giving you where I breathe in these because there's a natural pause in the chant. But if you find a more natural way to do it and it feels more natural to you, go ahead and do it. This isn't about everybody has to do it exactly the way I do it because that would be permanence. So if you find a better way to breathe in these chants, go for it. Use it. Whatever works for you. Okay. But here you've seen where I breathe. And if that works for you, you can use it. So let's chant this one together. Iti piso mhakawa arahang samasamhoto vichacharanang samuno Sakatoro kawitu Anutero purisa Dhamma sati sata tawa manu sanang Puto pakavati Okay, any questions on those after kind of recapping what we did last week with the chanting? No questions, David. Okay. 
So what we'll do then is let's do a session of meditation together where we're going to chant these individually, essentially as a group. And then I'll guide you in meditation just for a short period of time. Then I'll leave you on your own. And then I'll start chanting these to bring us out of meditation. And you guys can join along with those chants. After we do that last part of the chant, we'll just slip right into meditation and I'll provide you some guidance, leaving you on your own, and then we'll come out with the chance as well. So go ahead and take your position seated, standing or lying, and make yourself comfortable with the lower body in the upper body, and just getting yourself into a nice comfortable position. Bring your hands up to your forehead, and now place them at your chest, and let's start chanting together. Ara ang sama sam hoto mahakawa hotang mahakawanang apiwate mi sawakato mahakawata tamo. Tamang namasami Sopadhepano bhakavato Savakasangho Sanghang namami Napmodhasa bhagavato arahato samasambhutasa Napmodhasa bhagavato arahato samasambhutasa Napmodhasa bhagavato Arahato Samasamputasa Iti Piso Mahakawa Arahang Samasamuto Vichacharanang Samuno Sakato roka vitu Anutero purisa Tamasati satatawa Manusanang Utopakavati Okay, now just place your hands in your lap so that we can go into meditation. You should have your eyes closed. Your lower body should be comfortable. If you feel any pain during the meditation, change your position. There's no awards given for going through pain. And if the mind feels pain, then you can't train it for what it is that we're interested to do. Put your upper body in the middle where it's relaxed but supported with your own muscles. 
not too rigid and not slouched, just in the middle. And place your hands comfortably in your lap, either right hand over left or your hands on top of your knees or in your lap. And just start focusing on your breath, breathing in through the nose and out through the nose. The body should just be comfortable, not luxurious, but just comfortable. The boss is the mind and the body is the employee. So we've got to make the employee comfortable in order to get to the boss. So make the body comfortable so that we can get to the mind. Just breathe in through the nose and out through the nose. Nice, natural, steady breath. Breathing in and out. Here, the first part of meditation, you're just establishing the breath. You're becoming aware of the mind, focusing it on the breath. You're not necessarily trying to do anything specifically other than just focus it on the breath. Just becoming aware of the quality of the breath. Is it fast? Is it slow? Is it forced? Is it controlled? Just allow the breath to come in through the nose and out through the nose naturally. Don't try to force it or control it. Just breathe in and out. So take a minute or so and just become familiar with the breath and observe the breath. And then I'll come back in with some more guidance. Okay, now with awareness of the mind, awareness of the breath, focusing the mind on the breath, just allow the breath to enter in through the nose and out through the nose. Just focus the mind on the breath. As you're in meditation, the mind's most likely going to want to wander to the past. Just cut that off. Bring the mind back to the breath. Don't allow the mind to be that wild elephant. Focus it on the breath. As the mind goes to the future, let that go. 
cut it off. Focus it on the breath. Don't allow it to wander. Notice how you can control the mind. Bring it to the breath. As there's thoughts that arise, ideas, perceptions, just let them go. Notice how they're impermanent. You can cut them off. You can bring the mind to the breath. Train the mind to focus only on the breath. Breathing in and out. You have nowhere to go. You have nothing to do. No one needs you right now. This is time for you to train the mind Focus it on the breath.
So this is a session of chanting, breathing, mindfulness, meditation, and then coming out with chanting. And remember, what we're doing in meditation is we're focusing the mind on the breath in order to bring the mind to single-mindedness or singleness of mind. We're eliminating that craving, that desire, that attachment, the mind's tendency to go to the past, to the future, to have all these thoughts and ideas and perceptions. We're training the mind to come into the present moment and focus on the breath, developing singleness of mind. Concentration, by eliminating the mind's natural tendency to hold on to things and crave permanence. We're eliminating that from the mind through practicing breathing mindfulness meditation and then in daily life practice generosity giving our time our effort we have resources to help other people money or supplies that we can help people with we can give that so that we don't hoard it and hold on to it and this will help to train the mind further train the mind not just in meditation but outside of meditation too it trains the mind to let go and not hold things so tightly. This is how you soak 
the teachings of impermanence into the mind and train the mind to let go. Do we have any final questions, Max, from anyone, anywhere? I'd like to ask a question or two. Um, do you advise, when we focus on the breath, focusing on any particular part of the breath, for example, the nostrils or the abdomen, or just wherever it seems most clear? Yeah, there's different places that you can focus here, and different people will instruct different ways. I instruct people to focus on the sound of the breath entering into the, the nose. That's what I tend to focus on the most. But also another teaching method, and I do this sometimes too, is focus on the sensation of the air entering into the nostril, either from the upper lip or inside the nostril, the, the physical sensation. And then I have also heard some people do teach to observe the abdomen rising and falling. I've done that before, but I haven't really had as much luck with that. I haven't really benefited the same way with that. So I tend to not teach that method, although it is a method that some people use. So the sound entering into the nostrils, the sensation of the air entering into the nostril, or even the rise and the fall of the abdomen. And what I suggest for people to do is try each of these and don't just try them once. Try like the sound for a week or two or three. Try the sensation of the air coming into the nose for a week or two or three. Try the rising and falling of the abdomen for a week or two or three and see what works best for you so that you know what works for you. So for me, I know what works for me, but that may not necessarily work for you. So you have to find your truth. You have to find what works for you. And that's the wisdom that you discover in these teachings. So these are three of the, the different options that I've seen. And uh, I, I like the sound or the sensation. That's what works for me. But you may notice other benefits, other pros and cons of these various ways of focusing on the breath that work for you. And that's the experience of putting the teachings into practice. And then you'll know you'll have wisdom, you'll know the truth for yourself. Okay, got it, thanks for that. Um, I'd like to ask another question. We, we don't have any other questions on Facebook or YouTube right now, but if there are any more, um, feel free to type them. I'll just ask one more question. And it is, I think like most people, there are times when I found meditation quite uncomfortable. There are times when it's, when it's uh, concentration and just doesn't seem to be coming. There are other times when it, it almost seems um, it's just flowing naturally. But but one thing that uh, seems to help me allow that to become more reliable and I suppose break through in a, in a way at one point was, was just to allow myself to enjoy the meditation. And is, is there a, a flip side to that as well? Should meditation be enjoyable? Should we try to make it enjoyable? Or should we take a step back? Or is it more a case of skillfully working with it on a case-by-case? -case? Yeah, good question. I don't think that meditation should be unenjoyable, but I don't think meditation, we should strive to make it enjoyable. Because with enjoyment, that's those pleasant feelings. Remember, discontentedness is painful feelings, pleasant feelings, and feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant. 
So the mind's going to want to have those pleasant feelings. And that's still discontentness because it's not in the middle. So meditation shouldn't be unenjoyable, but we shouldn't strive for enjoyment. Meditation is just training and we just do it because we know it's good having a good, steady, consistent, dedicated practice. What I notice is that meditation goes kind of in these cycles where I might have several sessions over the course of a week or two or three where there's just all this benefit and lots of good things are happening and all this productivity and I really notice the mind is really improving. And then I'll just have some meditation sessions that are just kind of like, eh, eh. And it kind of flattens out. And that's an easy time for people to kind of give up and stop meditating. But you got to keep going. And then what will happen is after a week or two or three, you stay dedicated to the practice. You'll start getting benefit again. So there's kind of this like constant rise where, boom, you get all this benefit. And then it'll kind of flatten out. And you'll get all this benefit. And then it'll flatten out. And you'll get all this benefit and you'll flatten out. But if the mind is still craving enjoyment in meditation, then it's only craving those growth periods. So during those flat periods, the mind can be discontent. It can feel complacent. It can feel lazy. It can feel lonely or bored or, oh, this meditation isn't doing much for me. And people can kind of turn away perhaps. So if you crave enjoyment in meditation, you're only going to appreciate and maybe gravitate towards those growth periods and the mind's going to be discontent when you're not experiencing that because you can't experience enjoyment all the time because that's a pleasant feeling it's impermanent so what you may tend to notice is the more benefit you get from meditation it may be easier for you to dedicate commit and kind of slip into meditation because you just know it's the right thing to do and it's working so well but during those flat periods where maybe you're not seeing as much benefit and it's just kind of like blase, blase, you need to go through that too. You need to train the mind that your meditation is impermanent, just like everything else. It's not a constant, steady growth path. That's not how meditation works. It's going to be, come in cycles, just like everything else. It's impermanent. Yes, it's, it's as though that the moment that even a slight bit of expectation is introduced in there, yes. it's counterproductive. Exactly. That's very very interesting thing about meditation because there are, there are very few other things that we do in life that are like that where we're uh, sort of um, where we're conditioning a lack of expectation uh, so I suppose that's a large part of the of it as a skill is, is to just no expectations even to the things that you might otherwise think should be expected like just absolutely none <laughs> yeah so this craving desire attachment which are common words right and grasping holding this mental longing with a strong eagerness these are common words that we use craving desire attachment grasping holding right well other words that we use in our language but we don't necessarily associate with these are wanting or expecting things like, I want to go here. I want to do this. Or like, you know, I'm expecting to enjoy meditation every session. Or I want to enjoy meditation. These are just other words, other variations of craving, desire, attachment, grasping, and holding. So training the mind to not even use those words of want or expectation. And what I tend to use is I'll say, oh, I would like to meditate tonight. Or when, like when I talk to my son, I'll say, Bailan, I would like for you to take a shower. 
Um, I'm interested in you taking a shower or I'm interested to go to the movies. That way, if somebody is like, well, you know, can you help me with this? And I was like, oh, okay, I can do that because my mind doesn't want to go to the movies. It doesn't expect to go to the movies, but it's interested to go. It, it would like to go. Uh, so using this, this language and getting away from the wants and the expectations and just doing what you need and cleaning up the language a little bit will help to train the mind to not hold on to expectations and wants because those are just other words that are identifying attachment. So like today I was talking to somebody and they said, oh yeah, I was so angry and frustrated. I wanted my political candidate to really win and it doesn't look like he's going to win and I wanted it so bad and I, and, and now I'm, I'm angry and frustrated about that. And it's that want, whenever you hear the want or the expectation, that's the craving, that's a desire, and that's what's causing the mind to be discontent. So eliminating that and pursuing it as an objective or as a goal or as an interest or something you would like to do. I would like to do meditation every day, but I recognize impermanence that there's some days where I'm probably not going to meditate and that's okay. I have an interest to meditate every day and I would like to get a lot of benefit each day, but I recognize that it's not always going to be that way. But I would like that. I would, I'm interested in that. But if it doesn't happen, then that's okay. Yeah, so this yeah, further, this, the language that we use further helps to train the mind in the direction of enlightenment or nibbana. And recognizing yes. that wants and expectations are essentially attachments, craving desire, then you can stop using that language and use words like, I, I would like to do this, or I'm interested to do this. And you also notice that when you talk to other people, that you're more likely to move them in a direction, like if you're a boss, or you're a boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, or you're a parent. And I, if I tell my son, I want you to take a shower, I want you to take a shower, it can come off a little bit aggressive or harsh. And there usually is a little bit of resistance, where if I say, no, Bailan, I'd really like you to take a shower now. It's eight o'clock and it's about time for you to go to bed. So I would like you to start getting ready to take a shower and move into the bathroom. What I notice is that that person's mind is more interested and more willing to move in that direction. When I say things like I would like you to do this or I'm interested, I'm interested in pursuing this new investment where we can share money and help me to make an audiobook. Right? I'm interested in doing this or I would like for this to happen. And there's more interest, there's more willingness for to participate rather than saying I want this or uh, other variations of that. So what you'll notice is by cleaning up your language, not only will it train your mind closer to Nibbana, but you'll notice that you'll be able to influence your surroundings and decisions that are made around you will be made more seamless because you're not having this strong desire. Because when you have this strong wanting and desire, people tend to dig their feet in and resist what it is you're trying to move people towards. But if you pursue it as an interest or a goal or an objective, then people are making a free will choice to participate along with you rather than feeling like you're pushing them in a certain direction. Yes, I suppose there's a responsibility we have to not water the seeds of attachment in other people and and in ourselves, of course. And, and the language we tend to use in our culture is, is 
there's often a lot of value judgments as part of it. We we use words like liking and wanting very liberally, habitually, and we don't realize often that we're actually conditioning attachment or aversion with that language. And so we might say, ah, was it a good class? Was it a good meditation? And sometimes I'm asked that, I think, "Mm, well, it wasn't inherently good or bad. It was useful. Um, Yes, that's a good way to think of it. Or uh, I, I got some value from it. But I wouldn't say it was good in any kind of objective way. Yeah, we try to kind of assign good or bad or right or wrong or these kind of things to all these different things we do in life where really we're just having these different experiences and at the word like you use like just useful an enlightened mind is going to just see opportunity it's not going to see a problem it's going to just see an opportunity to create a solution to the challenge that we're now facing so rather than dwelling on problems and dwelling on uh, negative situations uh, an enlightened mind is just going to say okay this is the challenge that i'm facing what solutions can i implement that's going to resolve this challenge and just look at implementing good conscious decisions that are going to move this challenge in a positive direction rather than assigning good or bad or right or wrong or horrible or wonderful these kind of things Thank you very much, David. I I certainly found that really useful. Okay. Well, thank you for everyone who's joined us, either on Facebook, YouTube, our podcast, our virtual classroom. I appreciate you making the decision to choose to learn and practice Gautama Buddha's teachings. It's the very best thing that you could ever do for your life, for the life of those around you, and for all of humanity. So until next time, we'll chat and share some teachings with you. Continue to learn Chapter 5, which is the Eightfold Path, continue to meditate each day. We'll be getting back together and we're going to be moving into Chapter 6, which is the Middle Way. Thank you so much for choosing to learn the teachings of Gautama Buddha. We'll see you next time. Sabadikha. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To provide support for this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha. To access more teachings, visit buddhadailywisdom.com. There, you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Remember to establish a daily, consistent meditation practice, along with learning and practicing these teachings. A well-developed meditation practice is the foundation in which to train the mind to attain enlightenment.